Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we pray together for a simple reason. But the most important reason any creature of yours could come to any place of gathering. That is to join together to seek the truth about you. That you, in your, by your presence through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, might give us eyes to see and ears to hear. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. 
Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, nor even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who could forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? Jesus' number one task in, the immediate, in his immediate work as the Redeemer, the disciple of the God, his God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, as his sent one, is to proclaim the gospel. At the very beginning of this gospel of Mark, it states this is the reason he came was to proclaim the gospel. John the Baptist preached the gospel. What is the gospel? We are going to be concluding our time together today by going to the Lord's table. The Lord's table is all about the gospel. The gospel is that God granted to us the solution to our unsolvable problem, unsolvable to us. The descendants of Adam stand before the holy God as condemned creatures, and we have no way to fix that problem. 
the harder we try, the behinder we get, the worse it gets. We start walking in either, we either forsake ourselves because of our sinfulness, or we walk in pride, which is even worse, which is the false religiosity. That was the problem of the Pharisees. So God sent his son to pay sin's penalty for us, and Jesus is announcing to the crowd what he is going to do. Mercy, 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 forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Why? Because he knows that what he's going to do on the cross is going to happen. You know, if God purposes to do something, it's as good as done. It is as good as done. Jesus knows he's going to, as the Lamb of God. What did John the Baptist say of Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the number one problem. We, as every single member, every descent of the human race, every descendant of Adam, has that what is to us an unsolvable problem. He's come to solve that problem, to preach the gospel. Preach, preach, preach. That's why he came. He is also healing people. He's also casting out demons, as as we see in this narrative we just read. He also cleanses a leper. But those are God God events. God heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He casts out demons. But that isn't the principal reason he came. The principal reason he came was to preach the gospel because every human being is a sinner, Not everybody and not every human being is a leper. Not every human being needs to be healed. Many do, but not all of them. Not everyone is a leper that needs to be, but everyone is a sinner who needs forgiveness, and God alone is the solution. And so Jesus, as we saw last week in that opening portion of Mark's gospel, he comes out, he starts his public ministry, And he is preaching the truth, but he is also healing people. He's healing people. He's casting demons out of people. But what does Jesus say? As in the opening portion of what we read, he has spent, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he preached with authority. You've heard that it was said, by the other rabbis, such and such, but I say to you, but I say to you, but I say to you. That was a shock to the Jewish congregation. They were used to hearing scribes or rabbis say, oh, well, rabbi so-and-so says this, and rabbi so-and-so says that. Jesus said, I say to you, I say to you, I say to you. Well, he's the author. <laughs> he gets to tell you what he meant. And he also casts a demon out. This man jumps up who's demon-possessed, And he starts crying out, and Jesus cleanses him of the leper. The word goes out. Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house. Whenever you see there in Capernaum, it says, at the house, at the house. It's Peter's house. And Jesus heals Peter's son-in-law, or mother-in-law. He heals her, his mother, and they start bringing people to him. And he is healing, and he especially when the sun goes down, when the Sabbath is over, the sun sets, the Sabbath is over, and stay there, I start bringing. And he is up for hours healing people and casting out demons. So he gets a very short night's sleep, but he gets up before the sun comes up, and he goes out off by himself, and he is praying. And Peter and the other 
disciples go looking for him. They finally find him in isolation. What's he doing? He is praying. One of the things to understand about Jesus is that when he, God the Son, became a man, the incarnation, as it says accurately in the Nicene Creed, Jesus of Nazareth is true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. Fully, not half man, half God, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. He has to be that in order to do his redemptive work on the cross. But also, when he became isolated to this human body, everything, the reality of all that he was as God came with him, except his non-moral attributes. He laid aside his omnipresence. He localized himself to a specific human body. He laid aside his omniscience, his all knowledge, and he actually went through the process of learning. We're told that in Luke's Gospels especially. He grew in knowledge. Well, by the time he goes at 12 years old, goes to Jerusalem, he's wowing the rabbis in the temple. But he actually went through the process of learning. He lays aside his, his omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence, and he is dependent upon the supplied power of God the Holy Spirit. But his number one reason for coming is to preach the gospel, to solve the, the universal problem of the guilt of sin. These other things, and people are being distracted by the healings, by the demons being cast out. My number one job is to preach the gospel. And so when Peter and the other disciples find him, hey, everybody's looking for you, let's go back to Capernaum. No. Let's not go back to Capernaum. I need to do the number one job. Let's go to the other towns here in Galilee. And so that's what they did. And so Jesus, let us go into the next towns. Uh, chapter 1, verse 38. He said to them, let us go into the next town, towns that I may preach there also. That's job one for me. That I may preach there also because for this purpose... I have come forth. This is my number one assignment. And he was preaching in their synagogues, plural, throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now he's still doing those other things, but job one is preaching because problem one is our sin. <coughs> Verses 40. To the end of the chapter, of chapter 1, he cleanses the leper. This is probably the same leper that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has done the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then he's coming down off the mountain. He's on his way to Capernaum when he's met by a leper. This is probably the same episode. And the leper comes to him and says, if you are willing, verse 40, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. Okay, right there. If you're a Jewish person with knowledge of the book of Leviticus, what Jesus just did, he reached out and touched him, is an absolute violation 
of Leviticus. You are never to touch a leper. In fact, if somebody is deemed to be a leper, they, they are assigned to live out in the wilderness. If anybody comes near them, they're to put a hand over their mouth, just like, unclean, 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 don't come near me, don't come near. <laughs> what? You're never to touch, if you touch them, even if you don't get the leprosy, you still have to go through a cleansing process. But you know, this is God come in the flesh. He doesn't need to be cleansed if he touches a leper. Instead, he cleanses the leper. He cleanses the leper. And this leper is instantly cleansed of his leprosy. This outrageous fungal (laughs) affliction. And his job, the leper's job, according to the book of Leviticus, is now go to the tabernacle and in Jesus' day, the temple, present yourself to a priest who will then inspect you and declare you clean, present his sacrifice and declare to the community, okay, it's safe to be around this, this person now. It's safe to be around this person. Just a little aside here. How many people, before Jesus started sending people cleanse lepers to the temple. How many times do you suppose those priests had actually carried out that ritual, done that inspection? Probably never. And suddenly they got people lining up (laughs) to be inspected. Okay, how did this happen? Well, that fellow Jesus. Oh, how did you get cleansed? Oh, that fellow Jesus. How did you get cleansed? Oh, that fellow Jesus. How did you get cleansed? Oh, the apostles that he sent out that did this... (laughs) And it says in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 7, many priests believed. (laughs) Many priests believed. Why? Well, how many times did they have to do the cleansing rituals for lepers who were cleansed by Jesus? They had testimony after testimony after, for three years, they had lepers coming to them for these inspections and cleansing rituals and they had probably never had to do it before. But Jesus' principal reason for coming wasn't to cleanse lepers, wasn't to heal the sick. It was to preach the gospel because that is our number one problem by far. So Jesus cleanses the lepers, cleanses the leper. And then here we have in chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus now comes to Capernaum. He goes again to Simon Peter's house. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, what is called the Gospel of Mark, according to the early church fathers, and there's plenty of biblical evidence for this, uh, this could legitimately be called the Gospel of Peter, because Mark is actually laying out what Peter has told him. And again, he, Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house, Immediately, the house got packed with people and the neighborhood got packed with people. That's how much of a following, that's how many fans Jesus had by this time. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together. And so the whole house is packed. And as you know, as we already read the narrative, Four men come bearing a paralyzed young man. They're bearing him on a bed, and they can't even get near the house because the streets are packed. 
So they finally find their way through the crowd. They get it. And this is a standard house form, format in the, ancient, in the ancient Jewish world. They actually had an outside staircase that went up to the roof. They had flat roofs. And they had an outside staircase. And so they, they climbed up there on Peter's roof with this fellow. And they start tearing away the tiles. Put yourself in Peter's place. What's going on? They're tearing my house apart. What's going on? And they let the men, they let the fellow down with ropes. They let him down in the middle. And notice what Jesus says. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, probably the faith of all five of them, the four bed bearers and the four and the man himself. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Your number one problem, paralytic, isn't your paralysis. Your number one problem is your sin, the guilt of your sin. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now let's stop for a minute. Did anybody ever object to Jesus cleansing a leper? Did Jesus ever object to Jesus raising the dead? Actually, they did. They wanted to decide they wanted to kill Lazarus, but that's about three years down the road. Did they ever get offended at Jesus healing the sick? No. They didn't get offended at him casting out demons, but they did get offended at the mercy message. They did get offended at the reality that Jesus Christ, God, Jesus of Nazareth, God come in the flesh, has authority on earth to forgive sins. The opposition to Jesus is not going to rise because of his healing ministry. It's going to rise because of his gospel ministry where he claims that authority. And notice who it is, the scribes. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were all enemies of Jesus. Even though the Pharisees and Sadducees specifically hated each other, they had a common enemy in Jesus. They came together for that one purpose, to kill the Son of God who had authority on earth to forgive sins. Because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be able to hold that, have that hold over the people. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning their hearts. Why does this man bla speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, in a sense, that's a reasonable thing. What they don't understand is he is, he is God the Son. He is the offended party. The only person who has the right to forgive a debt, whether it is a financial debt or a sin debt, is the offended party. Well, Jesus, God the Son, is the offended party. He has the right to forgive the sins of those who owe him because of their sin debt. Why? What gives him that freedom? He is going to pay off their sin debt when he goes to the cross. He knows he's going to get it done, so he has the freedom to forgive this man's sin right now. He is God the Son come in the flesh. 
Why does a man speak blasphemies? Well, if Jesus isn't God come in the flesh, he doesn't have the right to say that. But because he is God come in the flesh, he does have the right to say that. He is the offended. He is the one that this man has his sin, owes his sin debt to. And he can't pay it off, so Jesus pays it off for him. And some of the scribes are sitting there reasoning their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that's correct logic, but he doesn't go all the way. And what does Jesus say? Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, you can't hide your thoughts from God. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? Well, what do you think is going on? Oh, apparently he can't heal this fellow. So he's trying to distract us? That's a possibility, what Jesus is saying. He's trying to distract us from the fact that he can't heal this fellow by throwing out this nonsense so we'll be distracted. No, I want you to know I have the authority to do the invisible act of God. I want you to know I have that authority because I'm now going to do a visible act in front of you to prove I have that invisible authority. Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man, this is the standard Jewish term for the promised Messiah. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. The Son of Man, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power, has authority on earth to forgive sins, to do the invisible thing that only God can do? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out of the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus' core ministry, public ministry, is to get the gospel out there. The gospel is the good news that your sins can be forgiven. These other attending ministries are meant to justify, to validate that invisible miracle capacity. And now we see in the next paragraph the calling of Matthew. And that really is attached to this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. He taught them. He preached to them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. Now, one of the things to realize is in the Jewish culture especially, well, tax collectors are never loved by anybody. Tax collectors are never loved by anybody. But this is a fellow named Levi. He also has the Greek name Matthew, Matthias. He also has that name. But he's Le- in this text, he's Levi. And he is a tax collector. They were, of all the Jewish culture, the Jews who would become tax collectors. We don't like tax collectors, do we? In the Roman world, in the Jewish Roman world, you were a true traitor. 
if you were a tax collector. You were absolutely the most despised of anybody. And here is this fellow Levi, the tax collector, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And then he threw a banquet at his house. And being a tax collector, he would have been a fairly wealthy fellow. Probably lives in a good-sized house. And he throws a big banquet for Jesus, a big party. Now, it happened as he, Jesus, was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many disciples, and they followed him. This is a big feast. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, of course, they're not going out there. They're standing on the street, just wagging their finger. <laughs> they said to the disciples, How is it that he eats with and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Step one in finding forgiveness and receiving mercy from God is the admission on your part, on my part, I am a sinner. I owe a debt to the holy God. I must pay the penalty. There is a sin debt to be paid. I must pay that penalty. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't solve that problem. I can't do that. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew, Levi, his friends, Tax collectors, sinners, they admit they have a problem. They've got the righteous of Israel constantly telling them they have a problem. Let me ask you a question. Who has the biggest problem? The sinners who are there banqueting with Jesus, who are hearing the promise of forgiveness, or the fellows standing outside wagging their fingers who refuse to admit they have the problem? Who's really in bigger trouble? Who's really in greater danger? It's those fellows outside on the street wagging their finger who think or are pretending to think they're actually righteous before God. What does God say about our righteousness? Your righteousness is as filthy rags to me. And folks, that's a very polite, gentle translation. I'm not going to go into what it really means. <laughs> Your righteousness is as filthy rags. And the Pharisees, the scribes, they refuse to admit that. They think God, they pretend to think that God is actually pleased with their so-called righteousness when it's actually a horrible stench to him. So here is Levi, Matthew, his friends, hearing the gospel message and receiving it with gladness. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. As we come to the Lord's table, 
I'm going to invite Master Mahalek and Master Meek to join me at the Lord's table, if they will.